set Harkinson straight through the middle. Harkinson's past the keeper from an acute angle. His shot is blocked by Marie and behind for a corner. For just a moment, the goal was open. It was a day of close calls for Nashville SC and ultimately a disappointing draw against San Jose the first time the boys in gold were shut out at their new ground. That call of Luke Hawkinson's near miss from Tony Husband. He and Jamie Watson with an excellent broadcast on iHeartRadio. Thanks to iHeartRadio for that footage. This is Club and Country, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage from two people who have covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. I'm Nashville SC radio voice Wes Bowling. Well, Wes, you weren't the radio voice. You were the pregame host uh, <laughs> this weekend. But, and I'm Tim Big Sullivan. timers come in. Yeah, I'm Tim Sullivan, the proprietor of ClubCountryUSA.com. Yeah, when it's a national telecast, the uh, the Nashville SC TV folks move into radio. They still let me hang around and, and do the studio hosting. So it was fun to work with them and then sit back and listen to their call. I actually moved over, Tim, and sat in the TV broadcast booth all by myself mm-hmm. and watched the game and charted things and just came back in for my portions and listened to their radio call from yeah. there. So I got to hear it and uh in, in such a crowded venue i had a dark solitary space all to myself it just kind of i was, I was surprised uh since i'm so used to not having you available to respond to tweets during the game to see you respond to one i was like whoa what's going on here i'm really Less. good at multitasking let me <laughs> yeah. tell you nope i was sitting there watching and charting like uh, like everybody all, all the other nerds around um, nashville outshot and outchant san jose on saturday it's a san jose team that just had one clean sheet on the season had the worst defense in mls but ultimately, Tim, none of those chances turned into goals, and the result was lacking, both the result in front of net and the final result on the scoreboard. Yeah, I want to push back a little bit on the worst defense in MLS. Okay. Since they've got, they have gotten quite a bit better after they axed Matias Almeida, um, Vancouver game notwithstanding, <laughs> in Vancouver where the uh, Caps put up three goals. But the advanced numbers also show that that San Jose is, is probably better than the, the traditional numbers, say, defensively. Those are pretty minor caveats, though. You want to score on these guys. You want to win when you play against the Quakes. That was a result that Nashville SC is going to be kicking itself over. So they're not terrible. They're just bad. Yeah, yeah. Three goals conceded in each of their they're last like, they're four like They're matches. like current FC Cincinnati, not historical FC Cincinnati. God, they've given up 13 goals in the last four road <laughs> matches. So at least away from home, not a defense that you expect to shut you out. I think mm-hmm. we can agree. We can agree on that one. In the early shout, there were some season highs on Saturday. We'll explore those and, and start to explain that. I almost said loss because it kind of felt like one for Nashville SC, but that scoreless draw. Then we'll look ahead at uh, the Mike Jacobs Cup Part 2 as Sporting Kansas City comes to town this coming Sunday in the mailbag a lot of questions from you about last about saturday night we were recording this on a sunday there you go a uh, little uh, bit of house behind the made. curtain maybe yep. and uh, and what's this team missing a couple questions about you know whether it's current players who weren't available or maybe other pieces that this club would need to add to get to that level where they're beating san jose at home and, and taking care of business as as you would expect we'll go outside in and dive into international play that continues this week with the u.s men's national team as well as on a ball in Panama, but first club and country is sponsored by ML Rose. Some of you may have seen my tweets from Saturday night. After the match, I did go by ML Rose, had a couple of beers, had a burger, uh, and shout out to Kay and a few others. I got the impossible patty on it this time instead of the uh, the ground beef. It was great. It was very well seasoned, and with the animal burger, the other stuff on it, Tim, the toppings are so robust that it just felt like I was eating meat minus oh. the cholesterol. Logan really taking an L that you don't shout him out there too. <laughs> but, Sorry, Logan. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks to all of our uh, all of our listeners who have who have gone and checked out ML Rose. Um, whether you are a, a meat eater or not, they definitely have something for everyone. 
obviously you and I mostly talk about, about the meat options. Well, I guess you mostly talk about the meat options. I just sit here and talk about beer the whole time when we do these ads, but um, we're, we're very happy to see the, the club and country community embracing ML Rose as a place where you can go hang out, exist in, in a soccer friendly space and, and have something to eat and drink. Well, and it was hard to, like, after USL, we always would meet up at a bar across from First Tennessee Park, and you'd see some of the players come in, and you'd see some of the staff, and, and there was this community that was built around those matches because the place was so convenient. And at Nissan Stadium, there's just not that place right across the street, right? It just mm-hmm. wasn't that opportunity the past couple of years. So it's been great now after matches to go to ML Rose. They're open till midnight uh, on weekends. And to see people, I mean, it was it was packed with gold after that match, and I can only imagine what it was like before the contest. So it was great to see that Nashville SC community gather there. It's a much bigger community than it was in USL days, and uh, not expecting to see any players or managers wandering into any bars anytime <laughs> soon. I don't know, uh, but at least the fans were there, and they were there in big numbers, and uh, it was it was good to feel like uh, like I was a part of of that family as opposed to just you know picking up some bad fast food and taking it home to get to eat a good <laughs> burger with good people around was great. Yeah, and after after the first few games at, at Geodis Park, fans were able to go afterwards and have celebratory beers. And, and I think we saw Saturday night that you can have a slightly sorrowful, not like a, the most sorrowful, but a slightly sorrowful beer there as well. Yeah, it was like you were like drinking a room temperature beer. Like it's, it's beer, <laughs> it's okay, it's fine. Except of course, well, English taking a major hit. The English taking a major hit. Yeah, it's true. Sorry, sorry, <laughs> Gary and Tony. I know, I know that room temperature Guinness and all that stuff. Whatever. Uh, so of course, the beer at ML Rose far from room temperature. It was nice and cold. Had a couple good ones with my uh, with my uh, impossible animal burger. Yeah. We'll call it that. Uh, let's get to our early shout. They drive it through the middle, and it's Hani Mukhtar, and he goes round the keeper, and then it's followed in by Sapong, but the flag all through this sequence has been up on the near side, and it's offside. The one time the ball found the back of the net for the boys in gold, it was ruled out, and rightly so. The call courtesy of iHeartRadio. CJ Sapong's finish negated by an offside in the buildup by Hani Mukhtar in the one moment that it looked like Nashville had found its breakthrough. Tim, a wasted opportunity there, and really a night that felt like a wasted opportunity for this team. Nashville C created chance after chance, including a few really good ones. Obviously, the one that was ruled out from offsides was a shot from Hani Mukhtar that was already a really good chance, and then CJ dunked home the rebound, as you mentioned, rightfully ruled out by offsides. But the opportunities weren't poorly taken for the most part. You just sometimes end up on the wrong side of luck. A nice game from JT Marcinkowski, a couple near misses. And as you mentioned in the open, Nashville got shut out at Geodis Park for the first time. Not a bad performance, just a bad result for the boys in gold. And you asked Gary after the match about his feelings watching chance after chance go floating by and not be converted. Yeah, it's, all, it's always disappointing. I mean, you know, the first opportunity that came along was, was Luke's early in the first half or midway through, um, you know, one-on-one with a goalkeeper that... Honestly, you know, choices. I think if he'd have gone left, there was no recovering defender. He goes right, touches a little bit too heavy. Rest we know about. So we're talking about fine lines here. And, you know, there were a couple of really good chances, as we well know. But just not clinical enough uh, in, in, those, uh, in those moments. Um, I'd be more disappointed, Tim, if we weren't creating those chances and we'd come off tonight, uh, you know, worrying about how we were going to generate the type of energy and moments that we've seen so many times here. 
So, you know, Gary, understandably frustrated, uh, Tim, with the lack of the final ball there. Let's get mm-hmm. into Gold Nuggets and, and explain the loss and talk a little more about what led to that. The problem was not opportunity. Hani Mukhtar's five chances created as highest since August of last year. He was pretty vibrant, looked really as bright, as incisive as ever. Four shots on target for him, and he alone had 0.65 XG. That's more than San Jose had as a team. <laughs> a good day from Hani Mukhtar amidst a frustrating day for this team. Yeah, and like I just mentioned, a few of the opportunities that he took were not were not poorly taken chances. It was a, an impressive night for Marcinkowski. Um, don't forget to the service to Luke Hawkinson on on probably Nashville's best chance. Might have been the most impressive look of the night, not because it turned into the best chance, although that's obviously very important, but because it turned what looked like a nothing situation. He's in like a 50-50 duel with a defender. All of a sudden, he's played through a teammate alone on goal, essentially. You know, it's, it's just not going to happen for you sometimes. It was not his night. We saw that it was not his night because the ball did not hit the back of the net. And his job is to make the ball hit the back of the net. But, you know, when you project forward or when you even when you look backward as well, you'd rather produce those chances and, and fail to convert them than, than not create at all and fail to convert on a complete lack of chances as well. So sure. um, when you look forward, creating the chances does not mean you won against San Jose, but it does mean you're more likely to win in the future games. Yeah, and a lot of the chances came from counterattacking situations. When Nashville was in the final third and more of its uh, set offense, if you will, to use a basketball term, <laughs> in the run of play, the theme of the night was crosses. 30 of them for Nashville SC. That's the most in this club's MLS history. Most crosses in a match since this club joined Major League Soccer. It felt like the openings were there, and this team, sometimes Tim was settling for those crosses instead of working the ball into the middle of the pitch, possessing, building up. In short, to me, it felt like this club missed Randall Leal more than ever. Yeah, I asked Gary Smith specifically about Randall after the game, and he's always going to be diplomatic and say, okay, we have other guys who need to step up. We have other guys who, who can come off the bench. But it was very clear from both his tone and the content of what he said that having a guy like Leal on the pitch is, is going to be something that's important for this team when he's able to return, which hopefully is very soon. Gary did mention that he will be in training this week. So that's a, a very big step forward after the ankle injury that he suffered. But when you play a guy like Taylor Washington, who we obviously love very much, both as a, as a, as a player and as a guy who has, uh, who has been very kind to the media over the years, you, you are going to end up banging in a lot of crosses. I don't know if, if putting Randall Leal out there would have specifically reduced the number of crosses because the other personnel choices were kind of cross-oriented. Um, because of that, I, I actually feel like maybe Dave Romney's absence was, was just as important because mm-hmm. it did mean you are playing a touchline hugging wing back on that left side. And maybe, you know, it's not an obvious Romney gone, therefore this game plan. But when you see kind of the, the steps along the Rube Goldberg machine, it makes a little bit of sense that maybe his loss was felt more than anybody else really realized until kind of taking a step back and looking at it. On a positive note, it was Nashville's first clean sheet in five matches. Joe Willis's fourth of the year. He made a season-high six saves. Now, none of them were world-class. He wasn't put in a position where he had to make a, you know, a save-of-the-week candidate type of stop. But it appears that Nashville's cornerstone between the sticks is back. He was mistake-prone in the couple matches before he was pulled for Elliot Panico. Are, are, were you surprised? You're not surprised. Neither of us are surprised. I'm not going to frame it that way. What did you make of the decision to return to Joe Willis after two good starts for Elliot Panico? Yeah, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, making a lot of saves that aren't 
necessarily world-class saves during the mailbag. So a little tease for later in the show, but yeah, I mean, I'm going to be honest, the, the questions that we were fielding in the past couple of weeks about what will it take for, for Willis to retake the job? We kind of treated them as, as a little bit silly at the time because um, Elliot Panico has a very bright future, but Joe Willis is very clearly the guy when he's rested, when he's healthy, there was nothing short of being unavailable that was going to change that. But his command at the back with a backline that not only was not a first choice backline, but uh, learned that it was going to be even less of a first choice backline much later in the week than they had anticipated. His organizational skills played such a big role in helping those guys really kind of have the sort of performance that you might expect defensively, especially if Dave Romney and Walker Zimmerman were there. It plays right into his style to, to, to have his back line force the opponent to take a tougher slate of shots. Mm-hmm. And it worked out for him on the night. Let's talk a little more about that back line. Dan Lovett's moved to left center back, as you referenced a minute ago. For the first time in a league match ever for this club, he actually played there against Lou City and mm-hmm. US Open Cup play as well. So it wasn't a totally new he was on the, He was actually on the right in that game, too. Was he on the right? I'm sorry. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. He was, wasn't he? Okay. Yeah. My bad. Uh, so he starts at left center back for the first time ever then for, uh, for this <laughs> club. Uh, thank you. Researched it myself. Uh, and Gary Smith praised him post game. I agree with the manager. Much of the action ran through Lovitz on that left side, led the team in passing, led the team in takeaways. He was playing out of position. And yes, it forced some changes in, in, you know, in how Taylor Washington approached the game, perhaps. But a solid night for a guy playing out of his normal position. Yeah, it's funny. He was the he was the player who spoke at the midweek press conference last week, and I asked him about his versatility. Uh, little <laughs> did I know, and little did he know that it was going to be called into question. Uh, he might have known by that point, but I, I certainly did not. Um, but yeah, he he deflected and, and gave praise to his teammates at that time. But this system is always going to ask a lot out of at least one center back. For the most part, it's it's Walker Zimmerman, both defensively and in moving the ball forward. It ended up being Dan Lovitz for the most part on on Saturday night. And that's something that he was able to do certainly in the attack. And, you know, he's not going to be the most natural center back when it comes to clearing aerial balls or making a physical tackle in the same way that Walker Zimmerman or Dave Romney is able to do. But Dan stepped up and did exactly what was asked of him and um, provided perhaps a little bit more attacking punch than you might expect from a center back. That set Taylor Washington free down the left flank. I thought, Tim, that his first half, was maybe the best 45 minutes of soccer he's played in Nashville. I know he's had a couple of assists in his mm-hmm. time in Nashville, but I think he was unlucky not to to earn an assist uh, on the night on Saturday. And a couple of folks agreed. Uncle BZ, how good was Taylor Washington last night? And our friend Mike Meredith, Washington, more playing time or on the French? I mentioned it earlier, but you do know what you're getting with Washington. And, and for the most part, it's, it's a lot of crossing. He is one of the speedier fullbacks in the league. I wish we had access to the second spectrum data. Uh, you can you can email me or, or DM me that information, people who have access to it. His attacking skill has really improved, um, really, honestly, by leaps and bounds since that first USL season. And, and even, you know, in the time of, of the three years so far, in major league soccer, but he's going to hug the touchline, use that speed, use that left foot to, to bang in crosses for the most part. And they're very good crosses. And they weren't always <laughs> at the beginning of his, his USL time with Nashville SC. It does take some tools off the table though. Dan Lovitz is going to have a little bit more ability to combine in the attack, to get in and maybe take a right footed shot in a way that Washington is unlikely to do. But mm-hmm. like you mentioned, with what Washington is asked to do, he did have an outstanding performance doing so on Saturday evening. Man, that shake of the defender in the first mm-hmm. half along that left flank to get yeah. in and playing across was, I think, the slickest moment he's had. Uh, in, yeah, in and he, he had a couple of nice right-footed crosses too, which is which is uh, in addition to the arsenal that maybe even last year we weren't seeing a ton of. 
the Steve Guppy effect, right? You can you can tell that improvement is coming as he's working closely with uh, with the crossing the and one-on-one specialists. That's right. That's it. Uh, as far as Ake Loba, he came in for Luke Hawkinson two-thirds of the way through the match. Still no final product from him. Was not really involved in any any chances, really. But I thought he was an effective catalyst in build-up, Tim. To me, he looked more confident. He played within himself. He did have a couple of nice flashy moments, too. But mm-hmm. just thought he was a little more steady than we've seen. I think yeah. the bar is lower than it's been for Loba. He cleared it a little bit for me on Saturday and gave this staff a reason to have maybe just a little more confidence in him, at least in my opinion. What do you think? Yeah, he's still loose with the ball. He's going to commit some giveaways when it looks like Nashville has something kind of promising building up. But that's what you have to, uh, I guess, excuse when you are one hunting a goal. You need to take some risks to make that happen. And you need a guy who has that sort of flashy attempt to do stuff if he's going to pull off anything flashy. Um, The scorpion kick to keep a transition moment going, which is one I believe one of his first touches was like incredible. But you you can always see the talent. And of course... For the most part, I think Saturday night was one of the the less disappointing games in this regard. But you can see why the talent isn't always coming together when he's on the field. This was closer. This was closer. Um, it was one of his longer runouts in league play this year. He did play uh, 45 minutes in the home match against Royal Salt Lake. So it was his second longest uh, regular season appearance of the year. But the flashes were there. And I think getting a, a more consistent set of flashes in an outing is a really good step forward because before you would see, you know, 50% of the flashes would be good and 50% of the flashes would be very bad. And I think we're starting to see more of those flashes be good. And you need the, the, uh, what we would say in football is down to down consistency rather than Mm. big play potential needs to be what takes the next step forward. Do you think he did enough to replace Luke Hawkinson in that role as Nashville waits for Randall Ayala to return? Uh, I don't, I, I think that they, are probably pretty even in the eyes of the coach. Uh, Hawkinson provides a little bit more of that stability, quite a bit less of the of the um, those the expectation that those flashy moments are going to pay off. Although they haven't paid off for Loba, they look like they're closer to paying off more often than for Hawkinson. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it's a position where those two are going to be. Uh, kind of seen as a unit and it's one or the other is is the one that is called upon on the day and I think Hawkinson is the one that provides the stability that is a little bit more appealing to uh, perhaps a conservative coach in Gary Smith although not conservative in the way that he's he's often described as pejoratively this is a stretch where you wanted six points from the first two home games after an international <laughs> break San Jose and now Sporting Kansas City. So not getting the three against San Jose means three against Sporting KC. Pretty important for this team. This is a team coming in who's last in the West, just three wins this year, fewest goals in the conference, which is not what we expect from an SKC team that has made the playoffs every year but one since 2011. They've had horrible luck, and we'll we'll talk a little bit about some of the mechanism for that horrible luck in a sec. But there's also something to be said for just sometimes you you run up against a year where stuff isn't working. And it has happened for Sporting Kansas City in the past under Peter Vermees. They used to be a little bit of a a Red Bull-influenced style, and for the past several years, they kind of switched to the the Man City-inspired or the Liverpool-inspired press and possess sort of style. I don't know if Peter Vermees is going to kind of do the soul searching and and change his philosophy for a second time to keep the the run of results going that he has historically had with SKC. But more than anything, I think you look at what has happened this year. You look at what the results have been and say, okay, maybe you know, after eleven years in a row of making the playoffs, it's time to to 
grant him a mulligan, <laughs> perhaps. Yeah, well, especially because his two DPs, Alan Polito and Gotti Kinda, neither of them have played a minute this year. Mm-hmm. He even uh, vented this week that it's the first time in MLS history that neither teams des- of the team's designated players have played a single minute. I, I, I did not do that research. I cannot speak to that. But uh, Vermi's often on top of things and certainly has been around this league for a while. There's no question that injuries have played a huge role, Tim, in, these team, in this team's struggles. Yeah, and that's one of the, the primary mechanisms through which the bad luck comes in. Um, things already aren't going quite right. And then all of a sudden, two of your certainly most expensive players, and you would expect your most expensive players to be some of your best players, are unavailable, completely like completely do not play a second of, of time. It's not going to be great. And then you kind of, I think, within the locker room, I don't think they, they have lost faith in Peter Vermees, but they've probably lost faith in their ability to recover without Gotti Kinda and Alan Polito. So it's something that you look at and say, for that reason, I think is why that, that eh, it's time for a mulligan kind of philosophy might come in. And things have been ugly when they've left home too. They're winless in eight road matches. Six of those have been losses. They've been outscored by 14 goals in those eight matches, the worst road goal differential in MLS, and the underlying numbers are unkind too, Tim. They have the lowest XG per 90 in the league, not just on the road, but overall. Yeah, want to hear something crazy, Wes? I actually have them as a better road team <laughs> adjusted for venue and, and opponent than I do at home, which Jeez. does not say that they have been a good road team, <laughs> to say the least. It means they've been even worse at home. So I think... This is, again, this is a team that um, if you had maybe some of those established stars or maybe a little bit more, you know, solidity in the locker room, you could say, okay, we're going to kind of take this show on the road and and buckle down and and maybe change the perception of our team. But they just really don't have the horses this year. And I think that shows more than anywhere else on the road when you need kind of that leadership to step up. Uh, they certainly weren't great at home against Nashville SC when those two teams <laughs> met back on April 9th. The boys in gold went down 1-0 and then came back and won. Dave Romney and CJ Sapong with the goals. CJ, of course, scoring at the place where he won Rookie of the Year honors. A lot of SKC connections between uh, uh, between Nashville and uh, and Sporting Kansas City. So Nashville and Sporting going at it at 5 p.m. on Sunday, a Father's Day evening contest. And uh, Tim, I know where I'll be afterward. I'm not, guessing. not hanging with my dad, unfortunately. I'm, we'll be doing that the day before. <laughs> I'm Any guessing. Guesses? Any I'm guesses? guessing would it be ML Rose on 8th side? How did you guess that? That's uncanny. Lucky guess. Lucky guess. Amazing. I'm going to go for sure. A 5 p.m. game means I'll probably actually pick up some food <laughs> and take it home to the wife. Uh, yeah, you'll, you'll, you, you might have a little hangout time out there, too. Uh, maybe just a little bit maybe <laughs> just a little bit and uh yeah i actually so i went to Emrose twice this week i went to the charlotte avenue location earlier in the week uh right after a dentist appointment it was my reward for finally going to the dentist long overdue <laughs> and i reminded myself why my favorite burger used to be the belgian before animal style made it onto the menu i had the belgian and it was unbelievable um gouda and a sauce i think it was like a garlic aioli on there mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, a, a really rich of course juicy meaty patty did not do the impossible burger uh that time got just straight up good old ground beef and it was it was delightful and if you had the belgian it's 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 fantastic wes i i have shouted out the belgian in one of our ad reads in the past couple of weeks okay so maybe that's why it was in my head and i just <laughs> didn't even remember that and that's why i ordered it no the, the belgian rocks um yeah I, w- I went there after Nashville SC training a couple weeks ago on my way back. Uh, not only the Belgian, I had a couple beers as well. Uh, I, c- I I work from home. I can have a lunchtime beer. Don't judge me. <laughs> um, no and, uh, judgment. No, it's. 
I, uh, I like to mix it up. I think I've, I've said this about beers, but I also don't like to go to a restaurant and have the same thing food wise every time. So I mix it up with a Belgian and, and that's incredible. But, uh, you know, I still haven't tried the animal style. <laughs> Even you need like to, to shout man. it out most weeks. Oh, so. it's so good. Ne- next time I make it in there, that's probably what's on my docket. I don't know if it's named after the animal style burger at In-N-Out Burger out uh, on the you West Coast. Is. Um, I actually was out West in Arizona a couple of weeks ago and I went to in and out and I got the animal style burger. I can report the one at ML Rose is better. So just, just putting that and, out there. And you don't, and you don't have to order it off a secret menu. It's true. And I, and I love in and out by the way, it was a really good meal, but I, you know, I was like, why am I, why am I underwhelmed by this burger? I loved it last time. Oh wait, because ML Rose does it better. That's why it's good. All right, let's head to the mailbag. Lots of questions from you guys. And we'll start with John Mueller. Which absent player do you guys think would have had the biggest impact against San Jose if present? Again, the starters absent in that match include Anibal Godoy, Walker, Zimmerman, Dave Romney, and Randall Leal. I, I got to say, we, we've mentioned it earlier. I think it's Randall Leal. I think having that influence, first of all, I think he finishes a one-on-one chance with the keeper uh, that Hawkinson was unable to, to complete. Or, or he at least breaks the keeper's hands by just smoking. <laughs> probably does. He just goes from 25 yards out with the keeper in his face and just, yeah, no. exactly. Maybe knocks the hand into the goal with the ball. Who knows? I think, I think Randall Leal, I think the ability then to rely less on crosses, a little more on build up, traversing in the middle of the pitch, combining. I think this team is going to realize its true potential when it has Leal, Mukhtar, and Sapong on the field at the same time. I mentioned it before, but I actually think it's Romney for the reasons that I, I did mention. The fact that Nashville was able to build down the left, but mostly those left-handed builds turned into crosses from the touchline. If you have Lovitz out there and you have Romney in as the left center back, you have a little bit more variety in the ways you could build. Of course, Walker Zimmerman, a huge loss both in attack and defensively. You could plug him in and, and put him in the center and put put Jack Mayer on the left and put move Dan Lovitz out. But one of those center backs, and and because Romney is the one that we were expecting to see, um, and they they had game planned to have Romney in there, he's the one that I think probably was the bigger felt loss because it prevented you from taking a look at that San Jose defense and and saying, okay, we, we can really take care of these guys. And Nashville still did. So maybe, maybe you're onto something with an attacking player being the bigger issue because it wasn't the chances created that were the problem. No, I see your point. It's not something that occurred to me until you mentioned earlier on the show. I think it's a, it's a very valid point. I think he's, he's an outstanding answer as well. Uh, Scott, how underrated is Gary Smith as a manager? That back line was a curveball, but was really effective to it was a forced curveball, so we'll give him credit for preparing the team to execute in that in that uh, slightly makeshift lineup. But it wasn't some galaxy brain wrinkle that he chose, you know, tinkering away on the chalkboard over the course of the international break either. Um, we've been very clear about our feelings about Gary Smith's coaching job over, over the past three years since we started this podcast. Of course, he's underrated. He he doesn't get you know half the credit he deserves. Taking Nashville to the heights that they've reached in the past couple of years said enough, and and doing what he's been able to do. Um, this year and, and specifically Saturday night with less talent than he's ever had because of the international break and the injury situation lining up the way that they have. It says a lot about his quality as a manager. And, and I can tell you too, I was at training Thursday and, you know, can't, can't divulge a lot of what is said and done at training just out of respect for, for the club and that access. I will say this, Gary is so actively involved in every moment of training. He is, yeah. he is, he doesn't, he doesn't wear his, he doesn't wear his, his soccer boots for no reason, man. No, he's, he's, he's out there playing. He's out there. He's playing and he's constantly coaching. And I know a coach is coaching. What a shock. Okay. But, but you hear stories of managers in this league, usually managers who don't work out 
who are CEOs and who delegate a lot of the, you know, either tactical decisions or, or execution of training to others. That's not Gary Smith. And he's, he's very affirming. He's not screaming at guys and jumping down their throats. You've been to training dozens, <laughs> hundreds of times at this point since USL. And I think you would agree, you know, not just that he's tactically strong, but as a man manager knows how to pump these guys up while still being very firm and tough when he needs to. Yeah, and you look at guys like CJ Sapong and Dax McCarty who have been in this league for over a decade, and they've they've run through their fair share of managers. They've seen managers get fired at clubs that they were at, and they respect Gary Smith more than you know any any reasonable expectation of of a player re- respecting a manager, especially a player with the experience that they have. And it, it says a lot about them, of course. These guys are consummate pros, but it says a ton about what he's able to do to connect with these guys. It says a lot that two of his former players are still coaching with him and Matt Pickens and Kosuke Kimura. Uh, certainly good at building that respect and relationships and, and maintaining those. Uh, B. Jefferson, did the field look as bad there as it did on TV and why? I think uh, I answered as many questions about this as I did about the officiating, which I didn't think was bad. Uh, I was really surprised that I was getting so many tweets about the officiating. Yeah, there were moments, but I, yeah, I think yeah. not big ones. Anyway, the reality of soccer in the South is that you have seasonal grasses um, and you you change from a spring grass to a summer grass around this point in the year. And there's really not a ton you can do other than wait for the summer grass to come in. If the spring grass dies a little bit early, uh, it's going to look pretty bad on TV. Uh, NSC's ground screw did everything they could. They brought in grow lights. They were like rolling grow lights across the field over the course of the off week. But it it didn't look great. Gary Smith mentioned after the game that it that it looked terrible. <laughs> He's not going to mince words about about that a lot of times. But he also said it it played fine. Um, it was obviously not perfect, but it played as well as you could expect. So, um, shout out to the grounds crew. I think we give them shout outs like fifty percent of weeks lately. <laughs> they did as much as they could. Unfortunately, yeah. from an aesthetic perspective, there was only so much they could do. And Gary's not in the business of running PR for groundskeepers, as we know from his other experiences. He'll be honest <laughs> about a field. So if he says it still played fine, he's not. Uh, not glossing that, uh, he, he means it. J.D. Smith, could Nashville be missing one or two players that could make the difference between the team being an elite team, uh, i.e. a true winger or a true number 10, he says? Yeah, I don't think the team is that far from elite. Um, they're, they're like pretty close to it right now. Obviously, some of the some of the weakness that we've seen with two draws against San Jose, some of the weakness that we've seen with with guys out of the lineup, you can always get better. But a fully healthy squad with Walker Zimmerman, with Teal Bunbury, who we have hardly seen this year, for yeah. example, this this team has a lot of the pieces. Um, if if by elite you mean winning the Supporters Shield, yes, they could they could obviously use some talent to get better. Um, I think the spot most apt for an upgrade, if they were to add somebody, would be another top notch attacking player. We saw Saturday night why the lack of a third true option, and you know, all due respect to Luke Hawkinson and Ake Loba, they are not Randall Layall. If you add Randall Leal to this lineup, it might be a little bit different too. And that, I think that, again, speaks to the fact that they aren't that far away when healthy. They just aren't healthy right now. Yeah, backup striker who's going to be productive, an aggressive right back. Same old, same old there. Mm-hmm. Two, two guys who could, who could be really helpful. But again, that may exist on this team, especially that, that attacking player with Leal coming back, as you mentioned. Great friend of the show, Steve Cavendish, reaching out. I spent about an hour coming through the MLS team advanced stats, trying to find out what Nashville's actually superior at. The short answer is not much. They're just not very bad at things that can hurt you. There's a certain efficiency to their shots, which is interesting. He mentions Nashville's shots on target per 90. 
He says, what is it that Nashville actually does better than most of MLS? Is there anything? If they're really a good team and there is evidence to that fact, what numbers show it? A great question that Steve actually sent us a couple weeks ago yeah. and that we neglected <laughs> to get to. So now we're going to get to it, Tim. Yeah. And when he asked this, I, I didn't have the answer like sitting on hand. I had to sit there and kind of crunch the numbers a little bit. And I think the thing that I took that that was most clear was the quality on a per shot basis that Nashville is allowing is very low. Um, only Philadelphia Union allows fewer XG per shot. Uh, they allow 0.081 XG per shot. Nashville allows 0.089 XG per shot. The worst in the league, uh, San Jose Earthquakes. And I think that probably persists <laughs> after <laughs> Saturday night as well. Of course, Nashville did not convert on that. I think when you look at, especially defensively, Nashville hasn't been elite defensively this year. They've been good, but not elite. But limiting the quality of shots and allowing a large volume of poor quality shots is something that really plays to their strengths. I mentioned that uh, we were going to talk about Joe Willis a little bit later in my previous tease, um, the average keeper, the, you know, the platonic ideal of the average keeper will let in the same number of, of goals based on the same number of XG, no matter how many shots it takes. But when you have a guy who's above average, which Nashville absolutely believes that they have with Joe Willis. And I think it's been borne out over the past three years. I think you, you would see him be happier to have 20 shots with half the XG than 10 shots with a, a baseline XG level because he feels like those lower percentage shots are going to be easier for him because he is a good keeper. Mm -hmm. Whereas if, if guys are getting dunks, uh, Matt Turner's getting dunked on just like whoever the FC Cincinnati keeper du jour is getting dunked on. And if you have a guy who's going to stop more difficult shots, yeah, that's great. But I think guys who are going to stop a greater percentage of the easy shots is the biggest thing when you improve in goalkeeping. Which is what Gary Smith looks for in a keeper, too. He wants somebody who's going to make the plays he's supposed to make and occasionally make a sensational highlight reel one. But he'll do that at the you know at the expense of having a guy who might be a little more standout, sensational, highlight-grabbing, but uh, isn't reliable in those, in those key moments. Another stat I'll give you that Nashville does better than just about anybody in the league is aerial duel percentage. They are among the top three week-to-week uh, -week in an aerial duel percentage and actually won two-thirds of their duels against San Jose as well now that's not even surprising. without one of the best aerial duel players exactly and that's yeah. where i was going next was walker top 10 in that stat and, and leads nashville in aerial duels one and and so what that of course then does for you is it gives you that defensive stability when you have a guy like walker of course it can also give you the ability going forward uh, to put good second balls in positions to to succeed in the attack and you've seen nashville launch some balls down the pitch to guys like cj sapong you know even anibal godoy head the ball down and, and and start the attack from there and catch the defense off guard so you know second balls in the attack clearances in defense better stability on both ends and i think that points to the kind of team we know nashville is which is one that's going to be hardworking and honest and physical and uh and not necessarily out um outclass you but certainly outwork you great question steve and uh, we might hear uh, about steve again in my content recommendation here at the end of the show <laughs> because uh, he's now top of mind. For you're, me. But you're buttering him up. Uh, maybe just a little bit. Uh, Logan Elliott, this question's inspired by Gary's postgame comments, but do you think international breaks sort of level the playing field in MLS? Good teams have to regain their footing and momentum. I mean, remember Nashville beating Colorado 3-1 on the road right before that break. Some players getting back into full fitness from vaca uh, vacation, et cetera. What do you think, Tim? 
I think it can be an equalizer, but I also think it can work in the opposite direction. If you look at a team that is playing very well, but is riding some a couple extremely important players, I think Nashville in a, in a vacuum would fit that. If you need to rest Hani Mukhtar, having an international break to rest him can help you maintain your level when you return from the international break. Even though it did not happen for NSC this weekend, I think you could see it both ways. But it's one of many equalizers in MLS. It's a league that's designed to um, have parity. It's designed to have the horrible teams not be horrible year after year uh, unless and until they hire some of the technical staff from Philadelphia Union. And it's designed to have the elite teams not be able to necessarily keep that elite level um, you know, consistently enough that nobody else feels like they can win. And you see that, I don't know that the international breaks are, are designed to do that, but certainly they can. Yeah. The team got uh, four full days off as a reward for their play. Uh, so basically they came back pretty fresh. So I think to your <laughs> point there, yeah, you, you know, as a better team, you're missing a couple of guys and, and might, uh, might be missing Randall Leal even, uh, you know, without the injury, if he's healthy, maybe he gets called up by Costa Rica as well. But, uh, but you do have guys who are fresh and who are able to go, you know, spend time with their families and come back with fresh perspectives. And that might make up for, for some of that. Jay Maza. Forgive me if I pronounced that incorrectly. What would the squirrels ranking be in FIFA? Squirrel got loose right at kickoff. And by the way, the play-by-play of that from Tony Husband was tremendous uh, on the radio call. It was it was great. Uh, the squirrels ranking in in FIFA, and I'm, I'm assuming that's a rating and not like a, a you know a FIFA world number ranking one, of like a team overall. of eleven squirrels. Yeah. Uh, team of eleven squirrels would be, I guess, Spain, right? Just play keep away. Play possession. <laughs> um, what do you think? Uh, it, what are, what are some uh, some strength and skill rankings for the squirrel? Yeah, I don't know about his overall rating, but the speed and agility are often even more important than overall rating in a video game context anyway, um, whether whether that's a football game, whether that's a soccer game. If you can run away from the other pixels, you're, you're going to do pretty well. So he's going to be up there. He's going to be one of those guys that you can you can build a team around regardless of, of whether the, the game figures his rating to be in the 50s or in the 80s. Pitch awareness very strong as well. Um, <laughs> chemistry with um, with other squirrels, we'd have to evaluate. We'd need more squirrels to, <laughs> to see. So I'm not sure. I guess if you've got squirrels from the same tree, maybe then the chemistry points are going to really you know increase some of those. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to put them on my ultimate team anytime soon. Um, that would cost too many acorns, I think. Uh, That's nuts. Let's go outside <laughs> in. U.S. men's national team in action. Four matches over the window. Three of them complete as of press time. And in those three matches, Walker Zimmerman went 180 minutes for U.S. men's national team. That's yet to concede a goal in this window. He went the full 90 against Uruguay, 45 minutes against Morocco and Grenada. Good performances so far, but he's not really the focus for Greg Berhalter because he continues to be a lock, we'll say right now, mm-hmm. as long as he stays healthy. Knock on my, I think, wood desk. I think it's wood. I think it's real wood. Might be composite. Who it's knows? mahogany. It's mahogany. <laughs> oh, okay. There you go. I have no idea. Cherry. Yeah, I mean, I, it. The, the rise of Walker from not being uh, on the field when the men's national team played in Nissan Stadium last September, watching it from the bench. And I asked him about it. I was like, were you disappointed? And he, he gave a pretty typical Walker, oh, whatever, whatever I need to do role-wise to help the team win or to draw against yeah, Canada. That's <laughs> whatever nothing. it was. And to see where he is now, where he's probably one of the first names on the team sheet. Like, obviously, Wes McKinney, Christian Pulisic, are, are ahead of him on the team sheet. But when you have a goalkeeper controversy, when you have a guy who is essentially irreplaceable at the center back position, and, and Greg Berhalter has obviously been auditioning guys to be not 
so much replacements as the the guy to play next to him for the most part it has seemed so far this window um as you mentioned they haven't given up a goal yet um during this international break and um until the the final window of of world cup qualifying walker had been a stalwart that had pretty much not given up goals during world cup qualifying either so mm-hmm. he has really risen and unfortunately you know injuries that we've seen to the likes of miles robinson for example injuries that have taken a guy like Chris Richards basically forever to come back from. We don't know who's going to be a center back partner when this team gets off the plane in Qatar, but I think we're fairly certain that a healthy Walker Zimmerman is going to play up 270 minutes in Qatar at least. I know who was glad that Walker wasn't playing in the U.S.-Canada match because he told us, Alistair Johnson. (laughs) He said, I was so worried they're going to put him in there on the late corner kick and he was going to come in and beat us. And I was really hoping he wasn't going to come in. I wouldn't have to mark him. (laughs) uh, He didn't uh, somehow. Overall observations then from the three matches we've seen, I don't know what you're going to learn from a 5-0 win over Grenada, um, obviously. But beyond that... You know, the, the rotation is the idea. Giving guys opportunities is the idea. Do you think Greg Berhalter is getting what he wanted so far from this window? Yeah, I do. And it, it's weird. Um, as I think most listeners probably know, I, I come from a U.S. men's national team fandom to, to, is how I began the website. I was not always about a Nashville SC uh, other than the fact that nobody else was writing about Nashville SC. So I decided to do it. It's what I've always done. But I am a U.S. men's national team fan first and foremost. And I have not, I feel like I have learned more and paid closer attention to this window than I had in the competitive games in World Cup qualifying. And I think part of that is now that we know the team is going to Qatar, it's about figuring out what the pieces are going to be when they do get there. And um, seeing the, the likes of Jesus Ferrer scoring four goals, um, that's obviously there's we're the small sample size podcast there there's randomness involved there but Mm -hmm. seeing him kind of finally make good on what has been an impressive xg over the course of his career uh his his brief career so far with the men's national team seeing haji Wright, another striker um yes a penalty but he looked pleasant in even in non-goal scoring opportunities over the course of that first match um greg berhalter has already said he'll start the final match of the window so i think those two guys are are the most important ones figuring out what is going to be the choice at striker that seems like a spot that has been a hole for the men's national team basically since the retirements of, of landon donovan and then clint dempsey there really hasn't been somebody to really step up jesse zardes has been very good uh but i think um, maybe that's more of a, a results-based charting service than a guy that you feel is going to is going to consistently do it because of his technical ability. And I think with Ferreira, with Haji Wright, and potentially some of these other guys, you're seeing finally that maybe there could be a striker answer emerging, if even if it's not Ricardo Pepe, who obviously is is resting at the end of his season. So this is a, a window that I think I've learned more than than basically any window over the course of World Cup qualifying weird though it may sound to say that <laughs> well no this is this is the nerds paradise right yeah to, oh yeah to see some of these guys i mean malik tillman as well a guy mm-hmm. honestly i knew maybe two things about ever and, and yeah now he's gonna be i knew a lot winner. about his brother timothy who has who has uh a similar germany or u.s choice to make in the, yeah. in the not so distant future probably but seeing malik come in and, and be a, a plus player maybe not a star but a plus player has, has been refreshing too it is sicko time. Uh, <laughs> I watched every minute of that Grenada match, and I relished it. It was great. Uh, meanwhile, some weirdness in Canada. I would say weirdness. Uh, some unpredictability as, mm-hmm. as Canadians decided to uh, protest and go on strike for the Panama match, which deprived Onabagadoy of a chance to face the, the Canadians. And their headlining match of this window 
but the midfielder has still been busy. Went the full 90 in a Nations League win over Martinique uh, last weekend. At press time, again recording on a Sunday, was likely to feature for Panama against Martinique on Sunday as well. So uh, look into your crystal balls and tell us real fast uh, if he ended up being a part of that. That uh, kicks <laughs> off four hours after we are currently uh, recording this. But Anibal doing what he's done, right? A leader for his nation, a, a steady presence in midfield for them, and is likely going to have some tired legs coming back to Nashville SC this coming weekend. And he's, he's a guy that, uh, you know, when you look at what his uh, career has meant for Panama and seeing that Panama is not headed to Qatar um, this November, it, it's, it, it doesn't feel like a swan song. It feels like he's still a crucial member of this team. And um, from a Nashville SC perspective, that may be slightly uh, bittersweet because it means he is going to come back tired from the window, but He's a guy that has been super important to Panama and, and remains super important to Panama. And the fact that he's missed a bit of time over the course of the season with minor injuries, um, suffered both on international duty and, and for Nashville, knowing that he's going to be at full fitness is something that's going to be pretty, uh, pretty, I guess, maybe hopefully more sweet than bitter, um, especially given that they played one game fewer than expected this window. Speaking of international soccer, we won't have to wait much longer to learn whether Nashville is going to be a host in the 2026 World Cup, a press conference on Thursday will announce the winning cities. Nashville is a finalist, has a shot. And last week on Lamestream Sports, Braden Gall and Steve Cavendish sat down with the president of the Nashville Convention and Visitors Corp, Butch Spearden, to assess the city's chances of hosting and the pain of the fact that they could actually be hosting this coming summer, if not for Qatar taking the bid. Honestly... Probably when FIFA picked Qatar and just knowing how hard the U.S. worked, how hard we had to work, and knowing the U.S. scored the only perfect score, a third-party consultant evaluated all the bids. The U.S. had a perfect score. London didn't, or England didn't, Russia didn't, Qatar didn't, and that didn't matter. So the pain of that corruption and just illegitimacy stings today because we would have been there however many years we would have been hosting that game this month instead of moving World Cup to November and December. Uh, that probably hurts the most, um, but I've had plenty of losses along the way. We encourage you to listen to that full episode of Lamestream Sports on the 440 Sports Network. The interview was, as always, compelling, full of great insight from Butch, who is an open book and is a lot more candid, I think, about some of these decisions and processes and conversations than many would be in his position. He, more than just about anybody, has driven so much of the growth of our city through events like the NFL Draft. And, of course, the World Cup would be a crowning achievement. And he says in the interview, it's the hardest thing his team has ever done. The bid to host the World Cup. We'll find out Thursday if the job was done and if Nashville's going to be a World Cup host city in 2026. All right, final whistle time. I I teased a content recommendation that's going to take us outside of of soccer, outside of sports, kind of. Uh, And that is the Nashville banner. Steve Cavendish has co-founded and resurrected what used to be the the secondary daily, not secondary, I would say, the competitive daily with the Tennessean back when I was growing up, the Nashville Banner, locally owned, community supported. It's a civic news organization that's getting off the ground. They're currently in 
fundraising phase and, and beginning to produce great work. Their banner first look uh, is a, a twice monthly piece that they're uh, releasing. And, and by the way, not just Steve Cavendish, but also Demetria Kalidimos, who only needs one name for those who have been around Nashville. She's just Demetria. The WSMV legend is teaming up with him. These are two people who are very passionate about the nitty gritty. Like if city council meetings had underlying metrics, they would know them. If there was an XG <laughs> for Colby Sledge, they would be able to quote that. Um, and and they really deeply care about the mission of strong civic journalism, which as mm-hmm. uh, a recovering journalist myself, still kind of count myself a little bit in that category. You certainly are. Like We are both passionate about continuing to fund and fuel strong local journalism. That's what mm-hmm. The Nashville Banner is. So the recommendation that I have, and Steve didn't put us up to this, by the way. He, had, he has no clue we're doing this. He knows I'm a huge lamestream fan, but that's about it. Uh, <laughs> well, he, Nash- asked, he asked such a good question for the yeah. mailbag that you, you felt obligated. <laughs> Not obligated, inspired, <laughs> compelled in a good way. So hop on and just subscribe to the newsletter. Um, you can mm. get breaking news. You can get banner first look. It's just email address, first name, last name. There's a chance at some point, I think, to, to give as well to help with their fundraising push. I know they were part of the big payback through the Community Foundation. Uh, I don't I don't speak for Steve here. I don't know if they're still still collecting money. I think they are. Yep, there's a support page on their website too. So support them if you're so uh, so inspired, but support them by reading and by being a part of this. If you care about this city, if you care about people, if you want to reward people who care about this city instead of just a bunch of bachelor and bachelorette parties coming in and trashing the place or CMA <laughs> Fest visitors, um, give them a read and um, you won't regret it. So yeah. there, Steve, uh, if you listen to this far into the show, we'll know it. Uh, hopefully, reach out and let us know. But uh, Nashville Banner, highly yeah. recommend it. And if you follow Steve mostly for sports stuff, and then occasionally see his his long tweet threads about some some kind of uh, very niche um, ballot initiative or or uh, candidates who will qualify or don't qualify for a ballot and have to sue <laughs> to get on the ballot, <laughs> you know you know kind of the depth of what they're going for there. But um, my content recommendation is also something that. Uh, I, I feel like is important to support. And that's the national team. It's the book about the U.S. women's national team by uh, our good friend, Caitlin Murray. Hmm. Um, it's an incredible look inside the U.S. women's national team. Obviously, they are uh, historically the, the powerhouse in global women's soccer. And they don't get the press that they probably deserve, despite, you know, everybody knows Alex Morgan. Everybody knows Megan Rapino, But this book is, is so much depth about the entirety of the program, about the entirety of the of the roster over the recent years. And it's something that, especially when you look at the recent developments with the equal pay lawsuit and how it's kind of played out such that the men's and women's national team player associations have struck a deal to get equal pay from USSF. It's a really good look into, into you know, some of the characters essentially in that story and, and um, you know, some of the characters behind what has helped, probably helped much more than the men's national team turn the United States into the soccer country that it's becoming. And Caitlin's an authority in this space. Mm-hmm. She's written for the New York Times, ESPN. She's covered a couple of World Cups as well, at least a couple of World Cups. Uh, an absolute authority. I'm putting that on my list as well. I've got the Amazon page up right now. If there's an audiobook, I'll just stick it on my Audible and, and be good to go. Looking forward to, <laughs> to checking that one out. Thanks for that recommendation. Thanks to everyone else for listening as well. Thanks to ML Rose for feeding me twice this week and for sponsoring our show. More importantly, thanks to Moon Taxi for the music. Uh, before you do anything else, before you end this podcast, Right now, open up Apple Podcasts. Many of you are already listening via that platform. Our metrics tell us. Uh, Hop on and just give us a quick rating. You don't have to write a review. If you do like this show and you're compelled to do so, please do. 
And then uh, steal a friend's phone and do the same thing. Just quickly <laughs> steal it. Give it right back. Don't look at their pictures or texts or any of that. Just grab their phone. Give it a five-star rating if that's indeed how you feel. And if it's not how you feel, maybe just don't do that. Um, <laughs> and subscribe to the show as well so it hits uh, your feed right away first thing Tuesday mornings. Tell a friend about us as well. Uh, again, we see people lining up at ML Rose for burgers. We see people you know, packing Jodas Park. Not every one of those people listens to us just yet. But they would enjoy it. You we hope. be we the think. change that you want to see in the world, and tell yeah. them all about us. That's it, because we can't quite afford the uh, the digital board ads just yet to tell everybody <laughs> uh, about about the show. That's your job. You are our marketing agency right now, and so is the 440 Sports Network. Thanks to Braden. Thanks to 440 for giving us the platform to talk about the beautiful game. We will talk to you next week after Sporting Kansas City. So long. <laughs> <laughs>